Llewellyn. Our class is having that crazy scavenger hunt I told you about. If you're wondering what happened to your trailer door, it's going to win me first prize. Welcome to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. <laughs> and I'm Epidiah Ramishaw. What's so funny, Epi? <laughs> I don't know. It's just some, something about the way you said The Rockford It was... I, I think it was just slightly more serious than we normally are. Oh. Uh, so it had a very, like, uh, for some reason in the back of my head, it felt like it was a, a true crime po- podcast that we were going <laughs> into. <laughs> the Rockford Files. No, only fake crimes or fictitious crimes. At least. Yes. And this time the fictitious crimes come to us in season four, episode six, Requiem for a Funny Box. Yes. We are now venturing venturing afield from our season two uh season two a go go that we recently finished. Yeah. I feel like we've been asked about or had this episode mentioned to us at various times and uh, most recently by one of our Patreon supporters, uh Rebecca, who uh mentioned that that uh they, they were very excited for when we would eventually do Requiem for a funny box, and so why not now? Yeah, this is where we're at. Yeah, so that is why this one was selected for for us this time. This is one of those episodes where I remembered the premise, Mm -hmm. and I remembered the character, Kenny Bell. Kenny Bell, yeah. I remember the premise, I remember the character, didn't really remember the story, and this one has a hell of a twist. Yes. Yeah, I don't don't remember the... Like, I remembered that part. Right. But I didn't remember it was in this episode. Yeah, I think that was my same situation. I mean, it, it's been well documented. Uh, doc, documented. It's been well documented <laughs> here on uh, 200 Today that my memory is not so good. Uh, and I think I had the same experience. Like, I, uh, I didn't even have the... Sometimes, you know, as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, I kind of remember, you know... It wasn't until that twist that I was like, right, yes, now I remember, you know. Uh, I think partly because it hit a bunch of just regular, like, good, solid Rockford beats in Mm -hmm. the beginning. So it just felt of a piece with so many other Rockford Files episodes that I was... I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, just kind of rolling along with it. Yeah, so this one is uh, directed by William Wired, uh, another of his many, many contributions. Um, so we'll continue putting a pin in, in, in him for when we eventually get to <laughs> the full, when we finally do the full William. The full William. <laughs> and uh, this one has uh, two writing credits. It is a teleplay by James Crocker. Not not friend of the show, Jim Crocker, unfortunately, as far as yes. I know, unless he's had a secret <laughs> career that we don't know about. Um, but uh, a writer who would end up writing and also doing a bunch of television production, including both Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, and ended up a, I believe, an executive producer on Deep Space Nine. I mean, it could could be friend of the show, Jim Crocker. <laughs> I just, I really doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we would know if he had been a writer and producer for Deep Space Nine. I just feel like it would have come up by now, but uh, maybe maybe it was a secret past life. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, we'll, we'll have to, you'll have to let us know. Yeah. Shouts to Jim. Uh, yeah, and just looking at the, um, I didn't really look in, into uh, this this James Crocker. Just looking at his list of credits, this is literally his first writing credit on IMDb. So that's pretty cool. And then he also wrote another episode of The Rockford Files. Again, in this one, he did the teleplay, and the story is by Bert Prolutsky, um, who uh, was a who was a, a columnist. Um, he did a bunch of 
movie reviews in the 60s in Los Angeles Magazine, which were apparently famous for how searingly critical they would be. Um, He also wrote a bunch of TV. He wrote a bunch of MASH uh, in particular. Um, And then in his later career, apparently got into the conservative blogosphere and has some very, very strong opinions about uh, what has happened to America. Um, yeah, that I don't particularly care to amplify, but uh, that was kind of a kind of a needle scratch moment for me. Just want to kind of look up look up people, want to find out fun, interesting stories, and obviously I don't ask that everyone agree with me or everyone be an angel or anything. But uh, his devotion to a particular kind of writing and political viewpoint in his later years definitely threw me for a loop. Yeah. It's it's something that like not to dwell too much on any of this, but it's uh, my knee jerk reaction now to recommending anything on the internet is to spend time right googling and hoping you don't uncover this. <laughs> it's the is this metal band I like actually full of Nazis problem? Like, right before yeah. recommending a metal band, you have to do your due diligence because you mm. just don't know. Yeah, or as it, as it turns out, uh, Mumford and Sons. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> there was a guy in Mumford and Sons who was. I can't remember. It was something around the January 6th. Oh, boy. Uh, but this is neither here nor there. That's not what this podcast is about. <laughs> That's not what it's about. But I do, you know, there was a moment we were talking before the show, and it's like, oh, we could just mention his name and move on. But you know what? I do do the research. Yeah. We call out people that we who we agree with and that we like their positions. Yeah. It's worth also mentioning, hey, sometimes people who you don't agree with make something that is perfectly fine. Uh, for example... I don't think any of that has any relevance to this episode, actually. Right. But if, if you enjoy hearing the little bit more that I tend to try and dig up about the writers of the show, there's the little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So which is a bit of a segue into my kind of larger response to this episode, which was that I was settled in for like a real kind of romp. Because, like, I remembered mm-hmm. the character, as I said, the the comedian character, and all the, like, putting Jim in tight spots that he does. Yeah. Maybe not lighthearted is the right word, but maybe a little more comedic kind of yeah. story. Um, and then there's, th- there's this hard, hard twist um, into a much more serious direction, and one that is really kind of a bummer, uh at the end of the day. So like when it comes up, I'm like, Oh, right there. That's this episode. And then at the end of the episode, my takeaway was a bit of like, this is a good episode and I am not excited to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So let's, we should probably hit like a content warning. Um, there's nothing graphic that happens in it, but there is homophobia in the episode. Uh, and there's off screen violence because of that. Yeah. Homophobia. And there's, like one bit of off-screen violence is barely off-screen, right. so it 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 hits pretty hard. So if that's a thing that you're that you don't want to deal with, mm-hmm. skip it. Yeah, and specifically, it is homophobia that is that is framed as part of the episode. Like it's not. No, it's not casual. Homophobia. It's not casual. It's, it, yeah. They didn't think about it. It's like the the twist at, in this episode is the revelation of a character is gay and then he has this very very strong conflict with his father over that fact yeah and i mean we might as well put all the cards out on the table the this character and his father are mafia right right so there's there's this threat of violence already there right right and there is no reconciliation yeah it is conflict that is settled very dra- dramatically. That said, and pointing out that I am not the person to make this judgment, mm-hmm. 
aside from like the events that happened, it was handled deftly. I thought that part of the episode is about that. Like, yeah. it's like let's put this on screen, let's explore this dynamic. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's not um, I don't know, it's not mawkish and it's not poorly handled. Um, there there is nothing but empathy for there we go yeah uh, for for the gay characters in this uh, mm-hmm. from the 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 script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is this is all to say it is not uncritically handled. It is, it is a critical part of what they're trying to show the audience. Whether it's successful or not, that's up for the audience to discuss, to decide, I think. That's 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 the ball of wax that kind of rolls in <laughs> in the third act and uh and you go, "Oh, there there are a couple little hints, I guess, towards yeah, towards I mean, the fact that that character is gay, but there's nothing in the episode to prime you for this kind of explosive outcome of that revelation. I, I don't, you know, I don't know what your experience of it was, but my experience was, uh, like you were saying, you've got this comedian, like right from the get go, it sets itself up for a lot of good Rockford Files humor, yeah, right? Yeah. Like where Jim's put upon by somebody who's you know, slightly obnoxious, but is also going to, I mean, we'll get into it when we get into it, but clearly Rocky loves him in the beginning. Yeah. The Rocky stuff is, is, is good. Classic Rocky. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to say that I went into this on autopilot, but I went into this on autopilot. Like we've done how many episodes so far? Right. Right. Yeah. This is going to be like in the upper eighties of our episode. Yeah. You know? So I, I can't speak for Nathan here, but I definitely have, like a like a whole mechanism for how I do prepare for these these mm-hmm. uh, episodes, and that's been let's say honed. Sure, yeah. Because you know um, we we have day jobs, we have other uh, other things that we do as well. So we so I was just like, okay, this is going to be a nice yeah. And I'm I'm not I'm writing down the things that I like about it. I'm writing right. down the lines that I like, the things I find funny, and my reactions. But I wasn't digging into it. Mm-hmm. Until that twist. And then that was like, oh, I should be paying attention. <laughs> it's not that I wasn't paying attention, but you know, I guess you, what I'm trying to say is like, okay, imagine you are a firebird and you have several gears mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're coasting along in high gear because you've been down this highway before, but this metaphor is really bad. But suddenly there's a mountain that you weren't expecting and you have to shift into low gear. That's <laughs> what that was. You have to engage a new part of your brain that you weren't <laughs> yeah. necessarily planning to. Yeah. 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 And also, honestly, before that point, it's not like there's a ton to dig into. Maybe there is. We'll see when we get into it. Yeah. So that's all the preamble. I guess I just, to, to mix in another metaphor, my the, my sails when setting out on this journey have very little wind in them. So right. I guess I just want to make clear that that doesn't mean that it's not a good episode. Yeah. But, you know, as we do, sometimes we get into these and our opinions change. So, yeah, we'll 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 finish our extended preamble and <laughs> uh, just jump right into our fairly unextended preview montage. I have two syllables. All right. Rocky. Oh, no. Sorry. Three syllables because Rocky is two syllables. Rocky exclamation point deal. <laughs> yeah i thought we were done with deal we're not no yeah this is one of his few i think this is the only season four episode there's one more he's got uh two well he's got two of them in 77 so that might be season three and season four mm-hmm. or it might just be season four and then of course he's he shows up in the in the movies later on when we do our podcast within the podcast the deal deal 
Um, the deal, deal. I yeah. have something else to say about uh, about deal here, but uh, we'll get to that uh, when we get there. But yes, I also did deal exclamation point. Um, someone's a creep. Mob stuff? Question mark. They got his funny box, so where <laughs> we know where our uh, title's coming from. And of course, a car chase. Oh yeah. We're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash 200 a day. Thanks to you, we are a 100% listener-supported show. We extend special thanks to our Gumshoe patrons supporting this episode. Chuck from WhatYou'reReading.com, Paul Townend, who also recommends the podcast Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color at FruitLoopsPod.com, Shane Liebling, check out his dice rolling app Roll for Your Party for all of your online gaming needs at RollForYour.Party. Jay Adon, check out his amazing miniature painting skills over at JayAdon.com, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, Dave Otterson, Kip Hawley, and Matthew Lee. And finally, we can't thank our detective patrons enough for their generous support. Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter. Brian Pereira, at Thermoware. Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88. And of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Why become a patron for as little as $1 an episode? In addition to supporting the show and exclusive episode previews, our patrons get Plus Expenses, a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives. An episode of Plus Expenses comes out in advance of every episode of 200 a day. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, tell a friend who you think would like it, and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. So we start our episode uh, with our credits right over big spotlights at Hollywood and Vine. And we're going into a TV studio where they're doing a, a some kind of uh, broadcast entertainment show. Broadcast right. or taping. Uh, it's a little unclear. It doesn't matter too much. I guess they say they're live at some point. So I guess it's a broadcast. Um, this episode has a lot of establishment um kind of establishment backstory establishing the characters relationships to their dialogue all that good stuff uh in the first couple three scenes that when you're watching really organically emerges you know yeah. in in the way that that uh that we appreciate this show for doing so well but uh i'm not going to summarize in order because there's lots of stuff you learn about in the next scene and kind of doubling back to explain where this came from or, or whatever. Uh, so I guess if I skip over something in particular you wanted to highlight, uh, go ahead and, and throw that in. But Oh, sure. I was just going to kind of run down the premise as established over these scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our, our principles here... Jim and Rocky have come to this taping, uh, or this, this broadcast, at the invitation of uh, Kenny Bell, mm-hmm. who is played by Chuck McCann, um, in a, a fairly memorable performance, in large part because he's a memorable physical figure. Like, he has just a face. Like, he's a guy with yeah. a face. <laughs> he's got a face. That's and good. I remember him. He's in a Columbo episode. He's not the one who gets murdered, but he's the second one who gets murdered to cover the original murder. Um, he plays a projectionist in in an episode. Uh, I'm blanking on the title, but our our Columbo heads will know the one with the uh, subliminal cuts. One of the all time classics. Uh, he also does a ton of voice work. So if you look over his IMDb, you will see all of your favorite cartoons. Yeah, like uh, he's Leatherneck and GI Joe. Got some. DuckTail stuff going on, mm-hmm. some Tailspin stuff going on, Toxic Crusader stuff going on. He was a villager in Robin Hood Men in Tights. All the great... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think you can see... If you look for him, I think I know what scenes he's in. He's the voice of Ben Grimm in 
the 90s Fantastic Four animated series, which I will tell you, I don't think I even knew existed. I kind of want to check that out. There was a period of time where you would go to the grocery store, and while your parents were checking out, you would go to the video section. Yeah. And you, and by you I mean I, would (laughs) rent the videos that were basically like three episodes of a cartoon stapled together. That is where I saw a lot of the um a lot of the spider-man cartoon yeah uh and i i'm pretty sure that i probably checked out at least one fantastic four video cassette at the grocery store because i can i can picture in my mind the animated like the model like what they you know right what they look like anyway that is neither here nor there um kenny bell (laughs) is is going to be one of our main characters and then we are also going to be concerned with lee russo uh kenny and lee used to be a comedy duo and i guess they did movies uh among other things and then they split up into solo careers and lee russo has been much more successful uh and when we come into our come into the episode we're seeing so he's backstage he's this is lee this is lee yeah yeah lee russo he's practicing material and he's going to be like the he's he's the main he's the main event the headliner yeah he's the headliner yes thank you yeah when you're talking about things that aren't wrestling right right yeah that's the he's he's <laughs> he's in the world championship title bout um kenny is opening so kenny has invited jim and by extension rocky because they have they they had some kind of vaguely defined interaction in the past where Jim helped him out somehow. Yeah. I don't think it's ever really delved into. They said it was three years ago, mm-hmm. and it had me thinking because <laughs> three years ago this is season four. Right. That would have been season one, but I don't think uh, it's actually in reference to. Anything. No, I don't think so. Yeah, there's a good line where uh, Jim's like. Uh, you know, why didn't you bring LJ? He'd actually like this kind of stuff. Right. And it's like, oh, Kenny Bell doesn't know LJ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's also a dinner invite in it for everyone. Yeah, actually, this threw me uh, because it comes out slightly later that this is Kenny's first time meeting Rocky. Right, right. So it had me thinking that Rocky, like he's an old friend of Rocky's. Like, I thought we were going to get one of these episodes, right? We're an old friend of Rocky. But it's... It is definitely uh, Jim's the connection here, right. and Jim was just like he w- would have happily given his ticket to LJ. Right. Yeah, and Rocky's the one who wanted to see Kenny Bell because, yeah, as we know, Rocky loves television. So yes, anyone who's on and, TV, and movies, right? Like yeah. he, uh, not to keep hammering that, but uh, people enjoy movies, Nathan. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> but they did movies together, right? Yeah. Like that was the, the Lee Russo and Kenny Bell. Right, right, right. It's kind of like a, uh, uh, it's like an Abbott and Costello kind of thing. You know, I was trying to think of like a more modern uh, <laughs> thing, but that was the one that was coming to my head too. Yeah. So I know there's there's, there's like, comedies. Yeah, there's comedies. I'm there's sure. comedy duos that yeah. people do. I guess there isn't the same thing where it's just like, these two people are in a movie together. Right. And that's the only reason, like, whatever the premise is, it doesn't matter. It's just that these two people are in it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's more of a franchise thing where it's like, I don't know, the Hangover movies or something. Right, like, yeah. You're probably seeing that for the same reason, but it's wrapped up in a premise that is the continuity anyway again wow we're really all over the place (laughs) um so backstage we see lee russo practicing this material in a mirror um and he's there with his uh like his manager and his uh there's a there's a woman there who's clearly his like lady yeah my notes on this material is these are the worst 
boomer one-liners. Boy, I sure hate my wife material. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, it's the joke is even made later in the episode where it's it's the it's the take my wife, please. Yeah. Like joke. It, it's yeah, my note for it was oof. Oof, yeah, yeah, yikes is my version of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, which I think is presented as this is not cutting edge. Like, this oh, yeah. is, in the world of the show, this is aging material. Yeah, because I was watching Rocky and Jim, and Rocky's all starry-eyed. He's, right. He, he's, but he's also enjoying it. Sort of like, you know, going to see a band and hearing the classics. Yeah. I'm sorry, the, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So what happens is... He's practicing this material. Then we go out to see Kenny Bell doing his opening, and he starts doing that material. Yes. I mean, he's delivering it differently, but he's making literally almost line for line the same one-liners. Yeah. And Rocky is is enjoying it. And like I said, it feel, like you get the feeling that he's, he's here for the greatest hits. Uh, and Jim is constantly looking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I like I was like, is he bored? Is he worried about something? What's happening? But he does laugh at one of the jokes. I don't remember which one it was, but he does like. But I was trying to also find out if like the show is trying to tell us because usually if the show is trying to tell us that something, they'll give Jim the moral yeah focus there. And um, his reactions seem to be kind of the like, okay, I kind of see why that one's funny, laugh. right? Yeah. But Rocky's like, can you believe that he said that joke about his wife? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's rough. So backstage, uh, uh, Lee is watching this on the monitor and he starts doing the material and he's, you know, he, he gets yeah. angry and he says, uh, this is the last time clearly something like this has happened before. Um, Jim and Rocky, I guess, came in late or something. So they're leaning up against the like control booth. Right. So we can see through the control booth window and then Jim can see because he's right there that... After Kenny finishes his set, he goes into the control booth, and then Lee Russo comes in after him and starts yelling at him. And they clearly are having a physical confrontation, and Jim ends up running in and breaking it up um, before it can get to to actual blows, uh, as opposed to just shaking each other by the lapels. As part of breaking that up, uh, Russo's yelling at him about, uh, you're stealing my material, Kenny's denying it, you know, that's all original, yeah. all original Kenny Bell, uh, and that's when it really gets physical. Jim breaks it up, he gets Russo to leave, and then we get the establishment through their dialogue that, yes, uh, Kenny knows Jim specifically, uh, calls him Rocks. Oh, hey, Rocks! So now we have Jimbo, Rockfish, and Rocks. <laughs> And Jim uh, says something, again, to reinforce that they used to be partners. Well, when you, when you break up a partnership, you really go all the way. Mm-hmm. This continues through to Kenny's dressing room, where Jim finally introduces Rocky. And same thing, I thought that Kenny would know Rocky, so. Right. But this is, I think this is key to the to, to, to Rocky's uh, uh, progression through this episode, is that he... <laughs> His emotional journey. Yeah, <laughs> does not know <laughs> Kenny. Um, and then we also meet Kenny's wife, Maxine, who is the unsung hero of this episode. <laughs> Yeah, from the get-go, my first note on Maxine is poor Maxine. Yeah. And and that note does not change. Oh, it does, near the end, but we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. There is a thing going on in this early bit where you have the material, uh, and I can't... We didn't mention her name, but... Uh, we, I mean, maybe it's mentioned, uh, uh, she's... Wow, I can't even find her in the credits. Yeah, Jim talks to her later, calls her Miss Thompson. And that, I don't remember her name being mentioned before then. Oh, Lori, Lori Thompson. There we go. All right. So Lori Thompson is, is the woman that's with Lee. And throughout that scene, she is reading a newspaper. If this scene were 
done today, she'd be on her phone, right? right like that's right. the thing. There's a gag where he every month she wanted to go on a vacation, so I sent her to Paris, sent her to Rome, the Via Veneto, Spain, all the great places. Finally, she comes to me and she says, "I want to go someplace different, someplace I've never been before." So I took her to the kitchen. <laughs> Good timing, huh, babe? Huh? Oh, I was just laughing at this cartoon. Yeah. This gets mirrored later with Maxine where so they're both doing this material about how demanding and overbearing their wives are when, uh, uh, well, first of all, Lee isn't even married. Uh, and uh, in both cases, these women are not. They're, they're, right. It has nothing to do with reality. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole textual analysis you could do of like this kind of stand up humor yeah. and like yeah g- gender dynamics and i mean it's 50s stuff right again the the episode doesn't present it as cutting edge humor it presents it as kind of it it already reads as a little old yeah. in this context um in introducing everyone around uh rocky maxine etc we get the the backstory of um jim helped him out three years ago and he's been trying to repay the favor ever since by hiring him Specifically, he's worried about threats or something. It's a little vague, but basically Jim has... Earlier he said, like, I I don't want to be his bodyguard or something like that. Yeah, but uh, Jim's a hard guy to hire. Not hard, Kenny. Impossible. Yeah, it's it's a great line. Um, Kenny gets a call and he gets very excited. Uh, It's apparently from some kind of agent. um, And he says uh, he's going to have to skip out on dinner. He's been trying to find a new agent, and this guy wants to hire him to exclusive representation in all fields based on the material that he just was doing, apparently. Yeah. He's going to have to meet him at a party up at Hef's, um, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> is not worth doing the research, I'm sure. Uh, Hugh Hefner had parties in L.A. in the yeah. 70s. That sounds about right. Um He's sorry to skip on dinner. He's been looking to change agents for a year. He has to take up this offer to talk. You know, Maxine will take you to dinner. Y'all put it on my tab. Um, she's like, sure, I'll, that's that's great. And he makes another, uh, as I call it, another cringe joke. You're such a treasure. I should have buried you years ago. Oh, and God. she makes this face. My first note yeah. was she rolls her eyes. But I actually watched it again because I was trying to pin down something else. And she makes this pained expression like, like, yeah. <laughs> She does very good. She's very good in this episode. Yeah. This is also the scene where he, he refers to them as the two rocks. Yeah. It's like, okay. What I like about that is that, well, first of all, it plays into, like you were saying before, it plays into our collection of gym nicknames that we're enjoying. But also, uh, this is his actual original material, right? Like, we're, right. we're seeing that he's not funny. Right, right, yeah. He's not a writer, at least. Like, he may be able to deliver the lines. Like, I, I shouldn't, yeah. you know, but he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. His comedic instincts are uh, cringe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he specifically tells them to try the lobster a la Kenny Bell. Yes. <laughs> I think that's the Grove. Like, it's a fancy, fancy restaurant, right, that, they're, yeah. that they go to. So we have a scene with uh, Jim, Rocky, and Maxine at this restaurant. There's small talk about how they must go there all the time, and she says that it's actually the first time she's ever been there. Usually Kenny does business there. She does want Jim to take up the uh, to take the job for Kenny and explains that uh, Lee Russo, he's bad news. He's been getting worse and worse over time. 
and tells a story that was in the preview montage of uh, there was a drummer who did rim shots behind his lines that he didn't <sighs> like, so he broke the guy's fingers. Well, he had someone. Like, he hired yes, someone yeah. to break his fingers, which I think uh, sort of plays into, mm-hmm. like, like I'm like, oh, okay, so he's mobbed up. Right, like, right. And this is the sort of the first, can't call it a red herring, because he is mobbed up, but not the way you expect him to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a little foreshadowing. It's a little clue. Yeah. Um, uh, we get a little more about their partnership. Uh, sure, they were partners, but they were never close. Uh, they always have lots of conflict, and they've been split up for over five years. Uh, but for some reason, things are just getting worse now than they've ever been between them. Then we get into the big the big actual joke of the episode, which is Rocky ordering the lobster a la Kenny Bell. Yes. <laughs> sir, I'm going to have the lobster a la Kenny Bell. The what, sir? The way you do it for Kenny Bell. Well, you mean the lobster Newberg, sir? I mean the lobster Kenny Bell. I'm sorry, sir, but that's what Mr. Bell has, the lobster Newberg. I'll have that, too. You make it three, please. He told me to ask for lobster Kenny Bell. Sir, we have a Milton Burl sandwich and a Hope salad, sir. But no lobster a la anything but Newberg. This is all exactly what I expected and also very satisfying to watch. It is. It is. I liked watching how angry Rocky was Rocky getting. Rocky got so mad. And, like, it's displaced anger. He's mad at the wait- the waiter. Like, he's been told... By this big time comedian right. that he that this is the thing here, uh, and it's fun to watch where that ball of white hot Rocky rage will eventually <laughs> land. <laughs> so he asked for the lobster a la Kenny Bell, and he goes, "Oh, the lobster Newberg." Yeah, <laughs> which I was not familiar with. I did look it up. Apparently, it is basically lobster in a hollandaise sauce. Which <laughs> I guess that's fine. I don't know. I don't actually like lobster, so. If that does it for you, great. That's the cuisine of the era. Yeah, yeah. Rocky is clearly angry about the name. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have a scene in the background where we see Russo and... Laurie Thompson? Laurie, yeah. They kind of storm in. He's mad about something. She's trying to tell him to, like, take it easy, can deal with it later. He uh, waves her off and goes stomping out of the the restaurant alone. Um, And Maxine's worried. They all see this happen. And then Maxine, he's like, you know, he's he, he he's out of control. I'm worried about what he's going to do and asks Jim to find out what Russo is, is going to go be off to. Jim, uh, I, I think, both to do a favor for Maxine, who has been nothing but yes. kind and and generous uh, and made to get out of what may end up being kind of a boring dinner, agrees to 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 go check it out he does say to if he's not back uh he tells rocky to make sure that maxine gets home rocky asks him what about his dinner he's like oh just doggy bag that yeah it'll be a good snack later yeah because he says it'll make a nice midnight snack which it clearly won't Mm -hmm. i think he knows that um there's an interesting thing here because i was wondering with especially with the way jim was reacting to like giving in because obviously he's going to give in otherwise we don't have an episode but also more specifically he can say no to Kenny all day long. Right, right. The whole year. He can't say no to Maxine. Right. Like that's like we the moment we meet Maxine, we know he won't be able to say no to her. It's kind of similar to how in uh, uh, just because this one's so fresh in my mind, but in, in Joey Blue Eyes, how he won't work for Joey no matter right. how much Beth asks him to, but he will go talk to Paulette, Joey's daughter. Yes. And it's the same job. Exactly. And um, at this point, I'm wondering if this is a deliberate 
ploy on the part of Kenny. Mm, mm-hmm. If he uh, shoves the two together. Now, I don't think the show, eventually, I don't think the show takes a stand one way or the other. But I, I think very specifically, it doesn't take a stand one way or the other. I think it can play as that. He's Kenny is a little more of a wheeler and dealer than he lets on to be. I, I guess I spend a lot of this episode wondering about that phone call he got. Yeah, yeah, same. Because at the end of the day, there's nothing happening with the new agent or whatever, as we'll learn. But yeah. it's like... Was that a legitimate call and it just didn't work out? Or right. did he set that up just so that he didn't have to go to the dinner? Yeah. But then that also seems to be slightly more forethought than he puts into things. Right, exactly. So this, this is exactly it. I'm yeah. just like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening with him. He's kind of an agent of chaos. He's very like, this is what I want right now. And right. I'll <laughs> I'll use underhanded means to get what I want right now. But I will not think about it past this stage. Exactly. So he's not a master manipulator or anything no, like that. No, and 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 putting Rockford in the same, putting Rockford with Maxine is almost a master manipulator's touch. It's hard to tell. Right, right. Hard, hard to say. We uh, follow Jim as he follows Russo. Uh, they go to a house. We follow Jim following Russo. Then the camera follows Russo into the house, and then we have the scene with Russo and. And uh, a new character on the scene, Paul Sylvan. So Paul, he's hanging out, he's smoking, he's waiting for Russo to show up. He checked it out and he found a bug in Russo's room. And he has the physical bug and he shows it to him. And so clearly that's how Kenny stole his act. He's had his room bugged. However, there's larger implications here. Yeah. You know, if he had guts enough to steal the act, we can't take a chance on any visibility. Very intentionally, this is all talking around whatever the thing is that they're worried about. Mm -hmm. Specifically, if whatever it is got out, there's too much at stake. Um, Russo says that all they need to do is lean on Kenny a little bit. He'll fold. Uh, Nothing terminal, just a Band-Aid. That's all you'll need. Because, you know, he knows Kenny. He knows Kenny's a coward, right? So Yeah, yeah. See, yeah, this is definitely... Uh, Epi on autopilot is like, okay, so this is their mob. He's mobbed up. Yeah, yeah. Mobbed up. I don't know what his... I guess because where I'm on autopilot, I assume it's some sort of... Some kind of financial... Real thing. estate deal or something. That... Yeah, some kind of crooked, like, tax evasion. Or, yeah. So... Yeah. Because it could be any, anything that to, that a mobbed-up entertainer would talk about in private that he... Right. Like, this could be lots of things. And I think the, the episode is leaving it vague specifically so that we're like, oh, we'll find out later. Like, yeah. whatever this is, there's something. And we'll see part of the episode will be finding out what the thing is. Um, we go back to Jim. He watches both cars leave. He takes a license number of, of the, the new car, goes in to check out the house. He walks around, opens some drawers. There's like nothing there. Uh, like it's every, like it's empty. Yeah. Like there's nothing that indicates that it's lived in, which actually is important uh, as we learn later. But he does find the bug that they left. Like they just you know left it on the ashtray or whatever. And so Jim, I think, makes the appropriate <laughs> conclusion. Yes. What that might have been about. Um, Jim follows up on the license plate. Uh, we see him kind of lurking while uh, this guy Paul goes to his car and drives away. And helpfully enough, he was in a parking spot with a sign that says, Reserved, Paul Sylvan, President. Now we can look him up on IMDb and find right. out who plays him. <laughs> Jason Evers. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was also in White on White and Nearly Perfect. 
And I don't, I feel like his, his face is so, he's another guy with a face. And I'm like, I just don't remember him. But I think he was like one of the other main guy. We did that episode too long ago. Yeah. We should rewatch it. I mean, I remember him as E2 in Escape from Planet of the Apes, obviously. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you? But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a little aside. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. Uh, well, we follow Paul as he goes to a payphone. So clearly, you know, something he's not going to do from his office. Makes a call. We take care of everything tonight. Set it up for midnight. This is always ominous, but in retrospect, this is one of the grimmest phone calls we've seen <laughs> in the Rockford Files. It might be the second grimmest. Yeah. The grimmest is later in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Um, we go to Jim and Rocky with their fishing poles. Mm-hmm. Jim is grumbling for all the time they spent. They should have caught something. I wonder... Let me ask you about this little little frivolity here. Mm. Is this a joke in the cut? Because uh, mm. I, I, I mean, Jim has made progress in his whatever his investigation is, but not enough to have any sort of conclusion or know anything like that. I wondered if this was meant to be like I've spent all this time working on this thing and I haven't. Mm. I think because it's very specifically about like they spend a bunch of time fishing. Yeah, they talk. He talks about some teen or something like that coming in and just pulling one out of the. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I don't. I mean, it is. There is a bit of like I spent all this time and didn't get anything. Like yes, that yeah, is yeah. resonant. But he also didn't not get anything. It's just not anything that adds up to anything. I'm I'm reading more into this line than than it deserves. I guess is what I'm. What's there is happening. a good joke in the cut later. So yeah. Um. A wild Kenny appears, and we see that Rocky is mad. Yes. Look, you don't have no charge account at that ponds, and you don't have no lobster named after you, neither. I'm sorry about that, Joe. Honestly, <laughs> He's sorry. Yeah. They wouldn't let me out of the joint till I left my Social Security check. Yeah, Max called me up and told me all about it. It was 59.65, wasn't it? Yeah. I should have sent you over to see Emilio. Well, yeah, they got new waiters in there. <laughs> yeah, they don't know what they're doing. Here, look. Yeah, uh, he writes a check to Rocky to, to, to settle it. It was fifty nine sixty five, wasn't it? <laughs> Which uh, it's a it's a lot of lobster. Yeah. Wow. That's even in. It's almost three hundred dollars nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I shouldn't even do that because of inflation. We're it's even worse. Well, right. Our our lobster is probably cheaper. Yeah. Per pound than they their lobster was in the seventies. Yeah. But it's a lot of money, is what I'm saying. It's a whole it, social security checks worth, apparently. Yeah, yeah. But he's in a rush. They got my funny box. So part of the humor, or at least the dynamic in this scene, is he keeps on like tripping over his words, and he has all this stuff he's trying to tell Jim, and Jim's like, and Rocky's trying to get him yeah. to acknowledge his terrible, terrible life choices and embarrassing Rocky about the lobster thing. And Jim's just like, what are you talking about? So how it all ends up sorted out is that someone broke into his house and stole his funny box, which is a priceless catalog of jokes. But he can't report it to the police because in his business, it's an admission of, of weakness to say that you write stuff down. Everything's supposed to be right. like it's extemp- extemporaneous. Um, like it's all original all the time. So he can't file a police report, but he does need to get it back. Uh, and he got a phone call from the thieves saying that they will uh, sell it back to him for $10,000. So he wants Jim to make the exchange. You get it back by delivering $10,000 cash up on Mulholland at midnight. Midnight at Mulholland? Oh, no, I can't do that. No, no you see, I, uh, 
I just sent my trench coat, my snap brim hat out to be clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote that one down too. It was good. He assumes it's Lee Russo, but Jim points out that Russo doesn't need $10,000. Like, he makes so much money. I, it was established earlier that he is, like, really highly paid. He's, like, one of the highest paid entertainers or something. Yeah. Um, it's like, he, he drops that much on a tip. Um, and uh, Kenny agrees. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Plus, he wouldn't sell it back to me. He hates me so much. He would just, like, you know, why would he give it back? So he doesn't know who got it. But he's on a 5.30 flight to Vegas because he's filling in for this big Vegas entertainer who got who got laryngitis it was he's filling in for don rickles yes. right oh is that a real person <laughs> that's a real person okay yeah all right let's let's do this uh he's an insult comic uh if you look him up you, you probably would recognize him right away okay yeah what what can i just point at that just straight up shows you who Don Rickles is without just saying Don Rickles. Cause that's no, the, no, the... I, I just, I didn't really note the name cause I was like, Oh, it's just a person. I, th- yes, this is a, this is vaguely familiar to me. So anyways, he's, he's an insult comic, big name. He voiced Mr. Potato head in toy story. See, there you go. See, there's a relevant, there's a relevant <laughs> pop culture thing for, for my generation. Um, yeah, I'm, I kind of feel like he, he was in a Scooby-Doo episode when I, when I was a kid, but I guess not. He's, I mean, he's definitely one of those that I think I remember him mainly as, on this episode, Don Rickles. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah, I, I mean, obviously the point is that he, this is a, a huge thing. Like, if he, he's standing in for... Uh, yeah, this is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, and that's clear even though I didn't recognize the yeah. Don Rickles on, on the on the jump. Yeah, and he specifically says that this is, this could be his big, the big break for his for his career he's got this new agent you know he's gotten this this last minute booking in vegas and like it's super super important um he needs the break what is it gonna take and jim says two grand <laughs> yes <laughs> this is this is quite the the upsell from 200 a day so <clears throat> welcome to our new podcast two grand at midnight <laughs> two grand at midnight um there's a bit of hemming and hawing but the kenny's like you know what i'm going to be making so much money after this big break it won't matter and he has the briefcase of cash with him so he gives the ten thousand in cash to jim right there on the beach yes. when i'm done with this vegas stand this is going to be small potatoes there's a real interesting look from jim when he shows him because he opens that thing up yeah and jim is not isn't believing him up until that point. Right. I think Jim is like, oh, you actually do have... Yeah, like, this is a thing. Like, I think he's fully expecting a, like, okay, well, now we have to go get the money or, like, something. But, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny's Kenny's ready. So we uh, go to that night where Jim uh, rolls up to uh, another car on Mulholland Drive. Uh, it looks empty. He goes to check it out. Then he opens the back door and Lee Russo's body falls out. Yep. And then there are police sirens and a squad car pulls up as Jim is standing next to the body holding the briefcase of $10,000. Well, let's take a little break. Uh, we want to make sure that you know where you can follow all of our other projects and interests online. Epi, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can Google Epidia. I am the only one out there that I know of. Uh, you can go to digathousandholes.com. That's the number a thousand, or you can go to worlds plural without master singular dot com and uh, find my work there. How about you, Nathan? My internet home for all things NDP is at ndpdesign.com. You can find 
all of the links and information for all of my various games, including the Worldwide Wrestling role-playing game, my zines, and uh, podcast projects, of which perhaps there may be more than one. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at ndpaoletta. As always, if you want more information about the podcast, go to 200aday.fireside.fm. And now back to the continuing adventures of Jimbo Rockfish. Cut to deal. (laughs) Quick aside into the deal deal. Oh, yeah, let's do it. The deal deal. Welcome to the deal deal. First of all, he has an amazing mustache, and I'm pretty sure he did. He was not mustachioed in season two. Oh, does that sound right? That might that may be the case. I have not been paying attention to Deal's mustache, uh, and I should. So Tom Tom Atkins, hell of a does mustache. Does have an amazing mustache. Yeah. Uh, as always, he's he's he he he's fun to watch. Uh, there's a specific thing he does here that, uh, again, in our ongoing contrast to a Chapman, um, which I think is important, but. In the even longer going saga of his name, his credit in this one <laughs> is for Alex Deal, D I E L. Right. We can see his door, like he has his name on the frosted glass of the door so we can read it from the shot. It clearly <laughs> says Thomas Deal with an H on the door. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do this thing where he's a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Lieutenant Deal. And, and for a moment there, I thought. Because of the way it was delivered, wait, is he now, was he not Lieutenant Deal before? And then Jim is like, oh, I forgot. How long has it been? 12 years? 12 years, years? yeah. <laughs> so the credit thing, so here's my, this. here's my, my, my headcanon. So he's yeah. been Alex Deal in the other episodes, except for the episode immediately preceding this one and his latest appearance. This is his last appearance on the TV show, and then he's in the movies. But this is his final uh, broadcast appearance. In the episode before this, which we haven't done yet, The Battle of Canoga Park, his credit then is Lieutenant Thomas Deal with the H. So my headcanon is that they have the set from that episode, Uh, and they just kept it, or kept the door for this episode because they knew he'd be in it. But for whatever reason in the script, he went back to Alex Deal. (laughs) Any Rockford historians that could let us know Mm -hmm. what's the deal deal. We we would in our eternal quest that this is this is our true crime podcast, <laughs> the deal deal, the deal deal. We wouldn't even know how to spell deal in the deal deal. I know. <laughs> well, do we go with the? Do we go with how we assumed it was spelled, where we both put an H in it? Or yeah. do we go with how he's credited in uh, uh, seven out of eight appearances, which is D I E L, <laughs> but not how it's spelled on his door and his first name changes independent of the last name as well no there he's alex deal with no h except in the battle of canoga park where he's lieutenant thomas deal with an h but then in the movies he's gotten a promotion he's commander he's commander oh good and on he's him. commander alex deal with an h <laughs> so the mystery the mystery continues um so we're in Deal's office. Uh, Jim's giving his statement. Uh, Beth is there, obviously, as his attorney, uh, wearing just an amazing ensemble. Oh yeah. There's a picture of it on IMDb on the IMDb photos. Uh, it's this like salmon relaxed pantsuit. It's a good look. I've never bothered to look at the photos on IMDb. This is a fun little. I know it's just because it happens to be on the on the basic page that I I can shout that out. There's also a good picture of Deal with his mustache. Yeah, there is. I just saw that one. I was like, yep, that's... Oh, yeah, there's there's that outfit. It is an amazing outfit. God, 
God, sorry. I just not to make this podcast about this single frame. <laughs> it's a good one. It is a good one with the exhausted Rockford look. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Beth, who there's a little bit, there's like a, a, the hunt in her eyes, mm-hmm. like she's. And then there's just Dennis. There's not a lot of Dennis in this episode, but he's there, and you could just he just feels. Like, uh, again, <laughs> again. Uh, well, so we get the, you know, they, they go over the events. It's pointed out that, sure, he was there at the scene, but no motive and no weapon. So deal doesn't have any case. Yeah. Jim explains about the, the funny box. He was supposed to be getting a exchanging the money for the funny box, which is deal's favorite alibi. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have a surprise Billings appearance who we haven't seen for a while. Billings pops in to uh, to to explain how the cops were on the scene. A couple heard gunshots and called. That actually answers the question I had, which is like, how set up was this with like the cops appearing at that moment? Right. Um, yeah. But apparently, you know, just kind of organically worked out. And in fact, I think it reveals a little a little later. It's that actually wasn't part of the plan. Yeah, it may have saved Rockford's life, or if Rockford wasn't the one making the deal. It most certainly would have saved uh, Kenny's life. Mm, that's a good point, yeah. Um, Beth tells Deal in one of my absolute favorite turns of phrase. Lieutenant, Mr. Kenny Bell will substantiate my client's claim if you will stop fumfering around and, and contact him in Las Vegas. To stop fumfering around? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I got that one down too. Uh, and call Kenny Bell. Uh, they haven't been able to get in touch with him yet. And then Dennis makes his appearance, and he says that, uh, as it turns out, Don Rickles went on as normal, no laryngitis, um, and that the the booker at the casino or whatever said that Kenny Bell hasn't worked in Vegas since he drove a golf cart into Lake Mead. <laughs> Jim makes makes a call. He calls, I guess, Kenny's house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Kenny's watching a news broadcast, is covering Russo's death. Uh, the phone rings. He wants Maxine to answer it. She's clearly upset. He is clearly using her to fill. You know, he's like, I can't yeah, talk on the phone. The calls. Yeah. And, you know, you need to scream my calls, essentially. And he's using Lee's death as an excuse, like that he's in mourning or he's he's right. got to write the obituary or he's got to do the eulogy or something. Yeah. It's definitely two-faced because you know that there's suddenly they're the best partners. Right, right. Yeah, and that comes up a little later also um, yeah. where it's like, who's going to speak for Lee? Yeah. And yeah. Maxine tells him, like, Lee has plenty of people to speak for him. Yeah. But that's in the next scene, I think. The thing about this that just, like, over and over in my uh, notes, I have things to say about Kenny that are not family-friendly. Yeah, no, Kenny's Kenny's bad. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but this scene in particular just nails it home because yeah. he's within inches of the phone and he shouts, Max, Max, the phone, and she comes in and she's like, it's right there. Her body language is like, it's right there. Yeah, that was me putting my emotion into it. I'm very angry with him. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it, this is not the first time I write down poor Maxine in my notes. Right. And it's not the last time, but we're getting close to the last time. <laughs> um. So she does answer it. It's Jim. He explains the situation, says he needs to talk to Kenny. At first, she's like, he's not here. And then Jim explains it. She's like, oh, I think I hear him coming in. And Kenny is not happy to be handed the phone. And she specifically says, I just can't lie for you anymore. Yeah. When he answers the phone, he's like, oh, hey, Rox. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Anything Kenny can do? (laughs) It's just the most smarmy. Yeah. Ugh. So bad. 
But this is our good joke in the cut. Hey, hey, Chimbo, how are you? Here you got a little problem. Uh, anything Kenny can do? Cut to Deal's office. Kenny can start by explaining Don Rickles' miraculous cure. <laughs> this is peak. Kenny's a slime ball. Uh, yeah. He denies hiring Jim. He denies this whole thing about a funny box. And then he says that Jim came to him begging him for a job. <laughs> this is this is very angel-like dialogue. Yeah. Honestly. This is uh, But without the charm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that they only talked about employment in the most general sense, but he did, after all, buy him a meal. Yeah. Jim is clearly furious. And here's where uh, this is back to the deal deal. So this whole time deals just kind of like prompting, like, you be quiet. You tell me your story, you know, and he's looking back and forth. And I think there's no read on deal about whether he believes Kenny or not. Yeah. He's very like, I'm listening. I'm listening. But he's not. He's not taking a side. Yeah, no, right. I, I agree with you. Like, he's it's what we were observing with the deal uh, an episode or two ago where he's he's frustrated with Rockford, but he's not out to get Rockford. Where where Chapman would be like on Kenny's side, like yeah. in this in this situation, um, but with this information, with Kenny denying that he hired Jim, etc., he does send Jim off to get printed. He, he sends an officer with him, but you know the way. <laughs> and then we follow Kenny as he comes out to where Maxine is waiting in the hall, and she's like, "So you told him the truth, right? You told him that you hired Jim," and he just like completely blows her like pretends like he didn't hear her says oh it got complicated legally and he just totally disclaims any responsibility uh this is where he says that someone should speak for lee and vaccine is getting more and more frustrated with him and says that it's jim who needs someone speaking for for him now uh and she storms storms out and he kind of follows after her um so two things in the moment i was like couldn't they just ask rocky because like right Rocky was with Jim when this whole thing went down. And sure, there's a little bit of like, oh, you know, Rocky would say anything for Jim. But like at the same time, like a witness is a witness, right? Yeah, yeah. So I had that kind of sitting in my head. And then I had this moment of like, Maxine's right there. Like she could go in and tell her story right now. And she doesn't. And so at the time I was like, that's such a weird, like, you know, whatever. It, it just struck me as like, here's something that probably could be addressed or should be addressed. Right. As things turn out, it's kind of important that the police n- not actually get the real story. Yeah, yeah. At the end, because... Right, yes. Yeah. That's how yeah. Jim ends up getting paid. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And then with Maxine, I think there is a... Mo- this is more of a character thing where, like, she knows on some level that Kenny didn't do the right thing, but she doesn't have the, like... I don't know, the gumption to just march in there herself. Yeah, she's not ready. She's building up to standing up to him. Like, yeah, she's definitely standing up to him, but she's not ready to really mm-hmm. sock him. Right. Which is what he needs. He needs to just get, get socked. And I feel like maybe there could have been something of like, we tried to call Rocky, but he's out playing poker with his buddies or something you know right. like i don't know just something but no but i yeah i get i get what you're saying it's not the sloppiest bit but it is a little loose end yeah though so at the end of the day there isn't enough to hold him for for long we we do cut to beth and jim leaving the station uh beth tells him that he'll regret like stay away from kenny or you'll regret it and jim says i never do things i regret it's a good jim <laughs> line uh, that would round too 
Yeah. Dennis meets them outside, and Jim asks him what he knows about the cheese place, because Sylvan's the president of a cheese company. Yeah. I I think we skipped over that earlier. Uh, Yeah, that's where he saw the, uh, his car. Yeah. And so, uh, Dennis doesn't know, uh, Paul Sylvan, but he does know his father, the, the elder Sylvan, and he is... He's he's a mob guy. He says something like, yeah. he's the first one into the bushes when we storm the, I don't know, the country club or something like that. But he doesn't know what the connection, what any connection Sylvan would have to Lee Russo. But Jim sees some kind of, something starting to make sense for him. But he needs to find Kenny to, I don't know, make the next, make his next move. So Jim's off to find Kenny. We have a brief scene where he is stopped at a traffic stop. A traffic yeah. stop that I've only ever seen in 70s television, so I assume <laughs> that's when these things happen. Uh, just a, just a, a, a temporary stop where they, like, check that you're registered and that your car's been... I think it's, like, a smog thing, too, like, to make sure you're you're not, uh, you know, your carburetor's working or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's nothing I've actually experienced. I've never seen one in real life. Yeah. Maybe it's a California thing. <laughs> Yeah, it could be. But uh, I remember I wrote this note. I was like, is this just a moment of irritation? So this is this yeah. is one of the things about the craft of the Rockford Files. Mm-hmm. When something like this happens, I think to myself, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there is a why, and it pays off uh, later. Yeah, there is a why, and, but it, it is also kind of, it is one of those, like, this didn't have to be there. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It's fun enough. Jim Jim's aggrieved because he's in a hurry, and now he has yeah. to stop. And he has this line where it's like, can I just come down to the station later? But all this stuff is in order. It's just the time delay. It's not actually stopping him to do anything. Yeah. We just go directly from there to Jim pushing Kenny around. All the lies he told and all that stuff. Kenny is telling him not to worry. The cops will find the real killer. Um, He asks Kenny if he has a 32. And... Kenny, in fact, does have a 32. And Jim says that he is a 38, which is the only reason he's not in jail, because right. Russo was killed with a 32. Uh, Kenny goes to get it at Jim's request, but it is not in the drawer where he usually keeps it. And so Jim posits that it was stolen the same time as his funny box, and that uh, it couldn't have been a setup. Like Kenny's like, oh, they're trying to set, set me up. He's like, well, if it was a setup, they would have left the gun at the scene. Jim thinks that I, the idea was that it was supposed to be a double murder and yeah. it looked like they killed each other because Kenny theoretically would have been delivering the $10,000, right? So Kenny Kenny messed up the plan by hiring Jim to do it. Um, Kenny says he doesn't know who would want to kill him. Jim spins out kind of what we what we know as well, which is that uh, they must have found out that he bugged Russo. Um, he must have heard something he wasn't supposed to. Kenny finally admits that Russo was all mopped up and that he only made it as far as he did in the entertainment business because of Paul Sylvan's backing. Kenny has this whole story about, like, he could have done that too, but he didn't want to be a, a puppet for some salad oil czar. <laughs> it's like, okay. The man's a cheese czar, at the very least. Well, I believe that this is a thinly veiled yeah. racial uh, epithet uh, about uh, Italians. So, yeah. Uh, assume that that's where that's coming from um jim's like okay there has to be something else but you know hey he just has this murder rap to to be someone wants kenny dead yeah so if that's not enough to motivate you to tell me what's happening that's your own problem uh jim leaves he passes maxine on his way out uh as she was getting groceries and as soon as she comes in kenny grabs the bags out of her arms and tells her (laughs) to pack 
they're going to go stay with her mother. He has a call to make to take the heat off. Poor Maxine. Poor Maxine. Jim uh, goes back to the theater. Quick shout out to the font on on the theater. The Palisades. Yeah, it was good. I mm-hmm. like that. It, Classic. It was very reminiscent of the prisoner. <laughs> oh, it is very prisoner-esque, yes. Good, good locate, like all the stuff like Hollywood and Vine and the Palisades and the Grove. Like this is all great, like yeah. location, L.A., Hollywood stuff, right? It's it's good stuff. But yeah, Jim tracks down uh, Miss Thompson. Um, he uh, impersonates a police officer to ask her just a few more questions. So he learns that they dated for over two years. It was a steady thing because he got tired of all the like women throwing themselves at him all the time. Uh, uh, Lee Russo. Right. Uh, they're really good together. It wasn't... Uh, I forget if she says it wasn't just sex or it wasn't about sex. Yeah, she, she makes a comment. I, I can't tell... Because Jim is also asking about... Uh, about Paul. Uh, Paul, yeah. Right, so it was something like, um, you know, oh yeah, I know Paul. Uh, like, he was like a brother to Lee. They were always yeah. together. Um, like, the three of us were always together, except when they talked business. And yes. he says something like, oh, that didn't get in the way of your relationship or something. And she's like, well, it wasn't just about sex. It was love yeah. and respect and good times. You know how tired a guy like Lee gets with women throwing themselves at him all the time? But me, he took everywhere. I mean, even if he and Paul were just going out shopping, he'd take me. Did he take you to Paul's house in the valley? Paul doesn't live in the valley. He lives in Bel Air. We never went there. Oh, and you went everywhere together? All the time. Except when he and Paul had to talk business. Did they talk business often? Yeah, pretty often. Why? What are you getting at? Laurie, did it ever occur to you that Lee Russo might be homosexual? So there we go. That's the that's the twist. Well, twist into a twist. Like this is a reveal, and then I feel like the next scene is the twist. That yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, he even asks about a house that she doesn't know about. Right, right. So that like emptyish house, I think in context is like, oh, that's where their their house where they would get together. We cut from Jim's line there to uh, an older guy, uh, Sylvan Senior, looking at a picture frame, and then Paul comes in. Uh, we establish that it's his dad, and they have some uh, uh, loaded small talk, asking about his yeah. wife and the kids. And then he quickly transitions into memories of your... I was just remembering your grandpa, Nick, with his stories oh. from the old country. of Men who loved other men. They weren't in our family, because our family is real men. This scene is... <laughs> this is the scene. <laughs> Paul's situation in this scene uh, is, starts off with him maybe blindsided, but then feeling out what his dad knows. Right, right. And then just straight up being like, well, going at it's it. all out. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was Kenny called his dad. Some scum named Kenny Bell. And I, I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. that is exactly Kenny Bell. Some scum. And sent him a, a tape of because he'd had the bug so he has a tape of paul and lee they just say like paul and lee together yeah he's like but i know this can't be my son paul you should deny it dad you deny it to me and we'll never discuss it again ever deny it no i'm not gonna lie to you anymore why why would you do this It's a sin. It's vile. It's perverted. Our heritage says that it's shameful. All that has a certain piquancy to it. 
Considering how we earn our living, don't you think? No, I don't think. Because I don't understand what them big fancy words mean. I'm just a man who worked hard every day. A man who succeeded. A man who would never shame the business that put bread in his mouth. And more than that, I'm a man. So am I. Oh, please, huh? My action is a little mixed because on the one hand, this is like, this is a solid scene with like good acting. And I think as you said in in the beginning, the script gives us like the empathy in the scene is with Paul. Yeah. Like his dad is clearly the one who's out of touch, who's way overreact, way overreacting as we learn. Yeah. Um, And is like clinging to this outmoded. he, He has this line of like, this is our family. This is, this is our heritage or something like that. Like some real... Uh, real gross stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's very broad strokes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it's kind of painting this dynamic with a very broad brush. And I get it, it's for dramatic effect, because this is the only time we see this character. Uh, it just comes up. It's just like, and here this happens now. So right. you kind of have to give him something so that his outsized reaction makes some kind of sense. But the feeling of like, oh, that's what this episode is. Part of that comes from like, this is like a big scene that just yeah. drops into what was kind of a beat-by-beat, beat, fairly standard Rockford story. The The title of the story is A Requiem for a Funny Box, right? Like, it's lots of this story is, is a joke. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's also this other bit in this scene where, at this point, we have to be sure. We, we know that, that uh, Paul killed, or had, had Lee killed. Yeah, so he says, I'm not going to shame you. I'm going to take care of this. I already yeah. took care of Lee. I'm going to deal with Kenny Bell and that detective he hired. And then this all goes away. Yeah. That's why I think like this is this is actually a really difficult scene, right? Because uh, he's in a bad situation, but also the thing he just did is abhorrent. Right. Nobody in this room is a good person. <laughs> right, yeah. But also, uh, Paul is being accused of being a bad person for the wrong reasons. Right, exactly. Paul, part of the dynamic is also Paul's like, I've tried to tell you. We tried to have a conversation about it. You you wouldn't listen. You went off on a tangent, ignored what I was trying to tell you. You were a child. <laughs> Young boys, 13, 14 years old, sometimes they get confused. It's a stage. I was 17 years old, Pop. 17. Uh, so considering that this is what, like a two minute scene, maybe. Yeah. We do get that, like just pure unadulterated. Here's an entire dynamic, an entire relationship just jammed into this to that. We understand where all this is coming from. Why this is so dramatic. Why this is such a, uh, big turning point for Paul to stand up and be like, I'm not going to lie anymore. Yes. I love men. Yeah. Oof, that's, I just, that's not expecting that. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a, a gear-grinding shift, which I don't think is, like, I don't want to, like, characterize it as bad. Right. Uh, it's, it, but it, it is... Uh, it, it feels like it almost came from a different episode that just like, right, crashed yeah. into this episode. And, and then we'll, we'll have another one like that going in the opposite direction a little later on, which is the, the other, like, you're like, ah, oh, okay, but yeah. But yeah, so the upshot is Paul says he's going to take care of Kenny and Jim and his dad says this filth, it'll never happen again. And Paul just leaves on, yeah. the, on the back of that. Uh, Jim uh, pulls up 
outside Kenny's uh, house to cut him off with his bags as he's trying to get into the car. He's like, oh, Maxine's mother is sick. We have to get on a plane immediately. And Maxine's just like, that's a lie. Yeah, like, yeah Maxine. Maxine! Woo! Kenny finally admits, admits that, yes, he bugged Lee's room to hear the material. And uh, he knew he was gay for years. Right. You know, it was just never a thing. But he didn't he didn't know about Paul Sylvan until he heard it on the bug that he was using to get the material. Maxine says that if Kenny doesn't go with Jim to explain the situation to Deal, she might not be there when he gets back. Yeah. And Kenny doesn't understand. <laughs> it's like, what? And Jim to I put the I guess get the the final the final motivation for Kenny is like, look, you can't blackmail people like the Sylvans. Specifically, I think he said you can't blackmail people like the Sylvans into letting you live. Yes. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, like these are people that are used to killing people. Like you could you could blackmail people who aren't likely to kill you because they're not likely to kill you. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that there's like a certain logic to what he says. Oh, yeah. That's just like you need to face this. Yeah. I guess my question is like, what was Kenny's? I guess his plan was blackmail. But like Kenny called Paul's dad to be like, hey, I know your son is gay. Don't let him kill me. Yeah. Was that the play? <laughs> That, that was the play. And so I was thinking about this because there's, uh, uh, what's his name? Chuck McCann, who mm-hmm. plays Kenny. The scene where he's about to make that phone call is well done. Yeah, he looks nervous. Yeah. He's mustering up his, his courage to make this phone call. I don't know what his play is there. I could, If I spent any time thinking about it, I would have guessed this dumb move. But it definitely felt like this is a thing this is a desperate last ditch attempt at something this is against the idea that he's some kind of master manipulator yeah exactly i'm reacting to the last thing i'm reacting to the last thing yeah and just the the way that jim just kind of lays it bare is like you're giving them a choice of either you're telling them don't kill me or this will get out they'll kill you it won't get out if they kill you. And so, yes, Kenny goes with Jim to go explain to Deal. Uh, we see Paul with another guy in the car across the street, picking them up, leaving Kenny's. And quickly, Jim sees that he's being tailed, and we have a brief car chase. I kind yeah. of expected this to be longer, actually, but it's uh, pretty pretty quick. There's no score to it, uh, which is uh, always interesting to me. We do we get a couple good, like, meaty cars yeah. bumping around, making turns, which is... Always my favorite. I was like hot turns and over medians. Right. It's like the Firebird probably needed some work after this sequence because yeah. <laughs> he, just, he just bumps over like two or three medians as part of it. Uh, Kenny says, oh, there's a police station like up wherever. And Jim's like, no, no, that's too far. However, yes, he pulls a U across the median into the very traffic stop that he had been stopped at earlier. And in order to uh, get brought in by the cops and thus elude the mob classic gym maneuver yeah it was a it was a good tight race uh at this point emotionally i needed just that something i needed to chase i need something to i mean they needed something to break this up because now we yeah. go we go back to yeah uh to, to damn yeah we basically cut from there from from jim saying hi fellas to the cops surrounding his car to the guy who was in the car with paul they stop at a payphone he calls Paul Sr. Mr. Sylvan, you wanted me to call you when it was taken care of? Well, sir, this is very difficult for me, but 
You see, Paul didn't... Uh... You mean it wasn't taken care of? Uh, yes, sir. This Rockford got Kenny Bell to the cops. Mr. Sylvan, uh, this is, I know this is none of my business, but what's this all about? Do it. I don't mean Paul, do you, sir? Just do as I say. And then the camera, he hangs up, and the camera stays on the phone, and then we just hear a shot off screen. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, my notes are, again, not repeatable on a family podcast uh, with that moment. And then then we get the cut. Right. Hmm. So. Right. So this happens. His dad can't handle the idea of having a gay son, so he has him executed. Yes. And that's the resolution of that, which is awful. So I was thinking about this because here's the thing. Before we go on to the very next thing, uh, if it was some other secret, any other secret, then this is just typical, like, what we expect the mafia from our television shows to do, right? Like, this is, uh, it was like, oh, that's a grim end for that person, but that person had this other person killed, so we're... For the moral count of our our episode, we're good, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but the problem is that why he's doing it is is homophobia. Like it's right, it's right. not it's not it's not to protect the family the way he says it is, right? right like it right. is just hatred. Yeah, even within the context of like TV mob violence. Yeah, I don't know. You snitch to the cops, exactly. or you let something out of go out of control, and we lost this. You know, we lost this this income stream or yeah. or whatever. It's like, okay, that's all like stuff that justifies mob violence in the context of TV mob stuff. Right. Yeah. And this, yeah, as you say, it's just like, it's not even personal. I hate this guy. Yeah. It's, it just feels so like raw. Well, he's my son, but he's gay. And he has the temerity to not be ashamed of it. Right. Like he, he doesn't, he won't cow to yeah. the demands that it stop. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. That sucks. Yeah, because there doesn't even really seem to be uh, aside from from that. There doesn't. Yeah, like I'm not. Wanna, I'm actually not even. I don't want to even try looking for a motivation for this guy. It, it's it's homophobia. Yeah, and we so rarely get a murder in the Rockford Files. I, sorry, we get murders the before and after of murders. This isn't on screen, but it's almost on screen Hmm. we just happen to be looking away at the moment it happens and that's also a little uncharacteristic of the rockford files i Hmm. like i'm trying to think of another uh thing where somebody is yeah because it's not like there's a gunfight which we do see yeah but it's like yeah this like execution essentially yeah people are rarely hit in gunfights anyways so yeah that that really had a punch to it i will say that and then as you say we Throw it back into reverse for another total J turn. Yeah. For our final yes. scene, where we just cut to Kenny and Jim leaving Jim's trailer with Kenny thanking Jim for all his help. Um, I mean, it's not a total tonal shift because there is some there is some sadness here, but it's yeah. on. But it's someone who's earned it. Um, so Jim asks Kenny about Maxine, how she's doing, and he says, "Oh, she's doing fine." And he's like, "Actually, actually, she left." Yeah. I'm like, yeah, Maxie. <laughs> Good on her. And then Rocky comes up, and he's, as you said earlier, his ball of incandescent Rocky rage <laughs> is at a new height because that check that Kenny wrote him. He says, it, that check you gave me bounced like there's no gravity in the air. <laughs> just, oh. 
Uh, Kenny tries to explain with some flim-flam about, oh, that business manager of mine, he's always putting money in the wrong account. I'll get it straightened out. <laughs> and Jim's like, look, don't worry about it. Yeah. Don't bother, Kenny. You don't owe either one of us thing. What are you saying? You never seen a check bounce that quick. It's okay, Rocky. Just tear it up. Kenny's already paid us. I have? $2,000 worth. $2,000. You're not talking about the money you brought up to Mohol. Yeah, that's right. The police will be releasing it to me in 90 days, and I keep two grand for our deal, and then I uh, promise Maxine the other eight. Might make her a little hard to find. And since... Kenny denied hiring Jim. Yes. And it was in Jim's possession. It's Jim's just going to get it. Yeah. It's like, but but I was paying you that to get back my funny box and you never got my funny box. He's like, you denied that there was a funny box. You're on <laughs> yeah. record saying there is no funny box and that you didn't hire me. Yes. Jim explains how that's all going to go down. And we just fade out on Kenny's disbelieving face as everything I guess, has crumbled out from under him and not getting his money or his funny box. Jim earned his money. Jim earned the hell out of his money. And that's the end of the episode. So, yeah, so I guess the tonal shift is like, this is this is all kind of comedic Rockford Files stuff at, at Kenny's expense. Yeah. But it is still pretty rough because Kenny is a sad sack. Yeah. But he also deserves it, so I don't feel that bad. He, he really deserves it uh yeah this is i i think this is definitely uh we've we've encountered this a few times where uh there is a duality in a rockford files episode where the the action that has rockford in it is one thing and then the action that's occurring elsewhere is someone else but mm-hmm. i think this is the starkest uh <laughs> yeah one too that uh that i i we've we've encountered uh overall like it was a good episode i think that if i had been more prepared for if i had looked into it before i actually watched it which one could argue is my job here (laughs) uh it may not have hit as hard as it did but but it's hard to say i think it's meant to hit hard though right yes like when you think about it like you know for broadcast exactly you just sit down turn on the tv you're watching the rockford files right you're not doing what we're doing so right the starkness of it i think is very intentional um i think a little bit of it i wonder so this is season four and we've we haven't done a season four episode in a while but one quality about season four is that it's when the show started pushing the stories into new places and getting a little more uh i hesitate to say creative because they're all creative but started to expand what they were interested in talking about with the show right um so this is the season where they they won their first primetime emmy for this season right uh it was um quirky nirvana oh okay yes I don't think the Emmys actually tell you what episode, but that's what everyone seems to say was the episode that they submitted for 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 it or whatever. Um, which is the next episode after this in broadcast order. Oof. <laughs> so yeah, so here's the thing. Again, because we've been doing this out of order, here's the here's the string of episodes. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was looking through this earlier. We have three episodes that we haven't done yet. Then we have Second Chance, which is Gandhi's second episode. Yeah. Uh, which does do the thing where it like reboots Gandhi's character a little bit, but is still yeah about, you know, there's, there's a lot of violence and everything. Then the dog and pony show, which we did do in the last couple of months, which is oh, the mental illness the episode 
centered around uh, treating mental illness and 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 a, another mob yeah mob situation that uh, leads to some pretty dark places. Then this episode, then Quickie Nirvana, Whew. which we you know did a while ago now, but is one of our one of the standouts, one of my favorite episodes, and uh, that's where it's like this whole thing about like taking responsibility for your own life and has those the, those themes that are a little heavier and also has an ending that's a heavier ending. So like that four episode stretch is I feel like is almost a block of like we're going to we're going to play around in some new space. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then paper like Paper Palace is in this one. Mhm. Dwarf and Helium Had is in this one. It ends with the house on Willis Avenue. Ends with the house on Willis Avenue, yeah. And, uh, and in the middle of it, there's the Hotel of Fear. Right, and the Queen of <laughs> Peru. So, yeah. like, it's not like this is the serious season by any right. means. Yeah. But it does, just looking at that lineup, it does seem a little bit like they're in a comfortable groove with the show. Let's do some, let's go to some new places. Yeah. Which is good. Like, I think most of these, you know, generally these are all good yeah. episodes. Yeah, we're, we're pointing out some of our favorite episodes when we yeah. talk about these. So, But there's kind of a quality to the season that is coming together for me, you know, kind of in light of this particular episode. I'm like, huh, I hadn't really considered that before. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, I feel like we've said so much about the episode already. There isn't like a, a pat wrap up of this one. This is an episode I feel like is, is interesting to talk about, but is not one I would necessarily be like, oh, you have to watch this episode, you know? I would say that because of uh, the subject matter, not just with with the, the homophobia, but also, like, with the old comedian yeah. material and whatnot, uh, that, I, I mean, I, I definitely felt that knot in my stomach about, like, oh, are they going to handle this wrong? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And I don't think they necessarily do, so I think that's, that's good. But I'm also, again not the person to make to to make yeah. that judgment. I feel it's it's almost more interesting to me to talk about as like it is more interesting to analyze than it really is fun to watch. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Cuz like watching it I was kind of like like I said that I kind of felt that like woof like <laughs> sense of 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 heaviness uh while watching it. But there is enough in the text to make it interesting to talk about. For a show like this, where what we're doing is yeah. talking about the episodes in detail. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I think I've said multiple times, I'm not trying to say it's a bad episode. And I'm not. It's not a bad episode. It's a good episode. But it's not one that I would, that I'm excited to hear. If someone else was like, oh, I watched an episode of The Rockford Files. And I'm like, oh, which one? Looking <laughs> for a funny box. I'd be like, what did you think? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I don't know. Take that as you will. Thanks again to everyone, including Rebecca from our Patreon for asking us or recommending us this episode. Uh, as I just said, it was certainly a trip to talk about. Um, and, you know, that's part of the joy of our show is finding all the directions, really, really exploring all the fun and interesting and weird and sometimes difficult places that the show decides to go. Yeah, I would agree with that. As you just said, we have said a whole lot about this episode, but do you have any other any other final thoughts on Requiem for a Funny Box? I will say this as uh, Jim Rockford's volunteer bookkeeper. Mm. I am happy for that that two grand <laughs> that uh, probably kept him going throughout the end of the the year in seventy seven. <laughs> yeah, and I hope Maxine is thriving. Yes, 
Oh, I, I do too. That all said, uh, I guess we will, you know, we'll, we'll take another look at our recommendations that we've gotten. And if you have any episodes that you would like us to talk about in particular, you can tweet us at 200pod, uh, hit us up on the Patreon at patreon.com slash 200 day, or email us at 200adaypodcast at gmail.com with uh, your thoughts or shouts for, uh, for, for what we should cover. But of course... As always, we will be back next time with another episode of The Rockford Files.